What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, a weekly show where we answer listener submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved, well, dear listener, there's two ways to do it. First, just tweet at me. My handle on the Twitter application is at Mike G. Rich. You can just tweet at me whenever you're thinking of a question, or you can wait for around 9 a.m. on Monday mornings when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can just email me. The address is lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. That's lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Email me there. I'll get you in the show. Simple as that. Two ways to do it. We do Mailbag Monday every week. I record on Monday evenings. It usually posts on Tuesdays. Yeah, the name's a little bit off maybe, but that's how the timing works and Mailbag Tuesday doesn't sound as good. We need that alliteration. It's called branding. Look it up, nerds. JK, JK, let's let's do the show. Sorry for being mean. I'm, I'm feisty on this Monday evening, y'all. First question comes from Jacob Parks at Team Parks on Twitter who asks, did Zach Collins have surgery? And as a follow-up here, Jack at Jack Parshall on Twitter asks, can you give us any injury updates? When the Blazers season ended, many guys were banged up. All right, so injury updates beginning with Zach Collins. So the, the source of this information comes from NBC Sports Northwest, an interview that Neil Olshay did with Dwight James, a reporter there. Full disclosure, I work part-time for NBC Sports Northwest, uh, but that doesn't mean what I'm about to say is not true. This video is really hard to find. It's impossible to find. Um, it, it took my, I knew that it existed and was able to track it down on the internet, but they haven't tweeted it out. Dwight hasn't tweeted it out. They haven't written a story about it, but there's this standalone two minute interview that exists some sort of like in the bowels of their website, um, that has injury updates where Neil Olshay is talking, um, you know, in a zoom interview and, and giving updates on, on the team. So this is out there. I don't know if you can find it, but I'll just leave it here, sourced to Dwight and NBC Sports Northwest. First, Zach Collins has indeed had surgery. Not exactly sure why the team didn't give an update. I know that the timing is weird and that the they didn't do exit interviews and all these things and we're kind of in the offseason and they don't always give um, full updates in the offseason, but typically surgeries they would. So I'm not exactly sure why the team hasn't, hasn't put out a, a, a formal statement, but Zach has had surgery. He's currently in Las Vegas. He is working with the team's health and performance staff. He's not really doing basketball stuff yet. He's still in the rehab portion, recovering from ankle surgery. He's expected back in Portland sometime in mid-November. So uh, this this the interview that I'm, I'm quoting from happened on October 30th. Again, very strange. This is kind of buried on the internet, but the interview happened October 30th. Neil said that uh, in the next couple weeks, about two weeks from the interview point, uh, Zach was expected back in Portland to begin on-court work with, uh, with the training staff. So Next couple days, next uh, sometime next week, you could expect Zach Collins back in Portland. Maybe then we'll get some sort of formal update on his progress. But, uh, you know, if he isn't back doing court work and we're closing in on about a month before the season begins, uh, a little more than that, by the time he's back in Portland, though, we'll be about five weeks away from opening night. Uh, it seems unlikely that he'll be there. But he's had surgery. He's working his way back. He's doing rehab and he should be back to some sort of basketball activities by the middle of November. Rodney Hood, on schedule. Neil Olshay said he's beyond the rehab point. He's into sort of just ramping himself up, getting ready to go. He's 
you know, 10 months post-surgery. Neil gave some specific thing like the average for guys who've recently come back from uh, Achilles injury is 270 days. Thank you, Neil. That's a classic thing that you do. But, um, you know, it's by opening night, it's going to be over a year, more than 12 months removed from the from the injury. So Hood should be ready. He, he's like a, like Olshay said, beyond rehab, he should be fine. Uh, CJ McCollum, fractured vertebrae, he should be good, too. He's ramping up his activity. Uh, he's it, his was more about rest. He just needed a little bit of time to rest. The Blazers ended their season in August. He's had time to rest. He should be good to go. No worries on that. Damien Lode, a knee injury and a, and a finger injury. He's fine. I saw a video of him boxing and he wasn't punching with his hand that he had dislocated a finger on. So maybe he's not ready to punch, not ready to punch with that hand, but I think he's ready to play basketball. Um, he's been, there's just like beyond what this Neil Olshay thing, he's, I've seen Instagram videos of stuff of him working out, getting, getting right with his trainer, uh, Phil Beckner and, and others in, in the Portland area. So Dame should be fine. Sounds like it's just Zach Collins, who may not be ready, uh, and hopefully we'll get a more formal update from the team in the near future. I don't expect the team to tell us anything before December 1st. They're just that's just not how they ride. But on December 1st, when training camps open, they'll likely have media availability, so we should learn more then. And by that point, Collins, just based on the timeline that Neil Olshay laid out in this interview, he'll be two weeks into on-court work with the team, and so we'll have a pretty good gauge about where he's at and and perhaps a more specific timeline. So that's your your update via NBC Sports and also like Damien Lord's Instagram account. But all of those injury updates bring us to our next question, which comes from HR at ArcharFX on Twitter, who asks, what's the starting lineup look like for the Blazers in the season opener this year? So based on the the, the aforementioned injury updates, I don't think Zach Collins is going to start a power forward. I think that's the plan. I think that would have been the plan, but I don't think that's likely to happen. So that that leaves a real question mark at the four, right? The Blazers don't really have one of those on the roster if Zach Collins isn't healthy which means that the locks that I, as I see them, the locks are Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood. Potentially Ariza takes Rodney Hood's spot, but I'm going to just say Rodney Hood starts at, starts at the three. Uh, the, the Blazers had that plan prior to acquiring Trevor Ariza, and I'm going to say they stick with it. It's a big minute role for Rodney. They liked him. He was going to start there last year. I'm going to say he starts again there. Four will come back to absolute lock use of Nurkic at the five. So what happens to power forward? I'm going to guess right now, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw a dart and I'm going to say that Carmelo Anthony starts at power forward on your opening night. Could be Trevor Ariza. I think there's a world in where it's Mario Hazonia, but who boy, is that not a good plan? I think there's also a world where the starting power forward is a free agent right now and will sign with the team here in, here in the coming weeks, like, you know, November 25th or whenever free agency officially opens, somewhere between the 21st and 22nd. But, you know, prior to training camp, the end of November is when free agency is going to open up right after the draft. But I'm going to guess it's Carmelo Anthony. I know that Carmelo's not a lock to come back. Um, and he's not a lock to come back precisely because of the question we're trying to answer right now. I think Carmelo Anthony wants to start in the NBA, views himself as a starter, does not view himself as a bench player. Now, he'd be much better as a bench player. Think about him attacking backups um, in post-isolations. Like, that seems to be more where his skill set is would fit right now. But I don't think 
I, I think he was out of the league prior to joining the Blazers because he saw himself as an NBA starter. He didn't want to take a backup role in other situations. The Blazers gave him not only a starting role, but a big minute, you know, nearly 35 minutes a night. It was just, they gave him a big chunk of playing time. Now, maybe Zach Collins's injury situation, his health and his maybe lack of availability early in the season allows for the Blazers to say, Carmelo, come back. Here's, you know, we're going to give you a relatively competitive contract and to begin the season, the first 10, 12 games, you guaranteed these big minutes. And then when Zach Collins comes back, we'll figure it out. And Carmelo says, okay, I like it. So I'm going to guess it's Carmelo Anthony. He said he wants to be back. Uh, the Blazers were kind of sending the signals, recruiting him, uh, both front office and players during the regular season in terms of just like saying nice things about him in the media, etc. But, um, there is a question mark because if Carmelo Anthony wants a wants a specific starting role, the Blazers may not be able to guarantee him for the full seventy two game season. And if it and if he has moved to this sort of mental frame where he says, "Cool, I'll come off the bench. I'm okay with being a backup. I'm thirty six years old. This is how it works in the twilight of careers, even Hall of Fame careers. That dude has dudes have to come off the bench. It might open up the list of suitors because it might mean that other higher more like teams closer to championship contention than the Blazers can offer him something. I tend to think that Carmelo says he wants to be back. Dame says he wants him back. There is sort of something to signing a guy of his profile, re-signing out of his profile is good for the franchise. If you believe that I, I sort of do, I, I'm starting to buy it less than I did maybe a few months ago, but I'm going to guess that your starting lineup on day one is Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, Carmelo Anthony, and Yusuf Nurkic. With the caveat that I'm wrong all the time. Okay, second segment. Let's come back and answer more of your questions. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Built Go. You know the good folks at Built Bar. You've heard me talk about them all the time. Well, those same folks have created the best workout gel on the market. It's called Built Go, and it helps you break through that wall, mental or physical, whatever you need. You grab one of these one-and-a-half-ounce packages, that's small enough to fit in your pocket, small enough to fit in your bag. You eat one of these and you break through your wall. Say you just worked a full day at your day job and you've got to record a podcast and you want to make sure that you're high energy and bringing that high quality audio content to your sweet listeners. Well, then maybe try the uh, peanut butter honey one and crank out some high quality audio content. Or say you don't have to record a podcast that night, but you do need to work out after a long day at the virtual office. Built Go works for that too. It's helping you break through your wall, be it mental or physical, because it's it really is the best workout gel on the market. It's like five-hour energy without the same crash. And it's natural, so it's better for your body. Uh, it's kind of like drinking a monster energy drink, except it's a third of the caffeine and it's got better results. How does it work, you say? Well, it's because it combines energy with collagen protein. And collagen protein is fast absorbing, so it gets into your system fast and it's easy on your stomach. And it's loaded with the stuff to ignite your work, to break through that wall. That's beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. Like I said, it's about 100 milligrams of caffeine, a little less than a standard cup of coffee, but it really works. I've tried these things. They work for me, help me break through my wall. They can help you too. And if you're interested, go to builtgo.com and use the promo code LOCKED. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's the promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right. Let's keep it rolling on Mailbag Monday. This next question 
comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter who asks, Who gets more minutes of the three this season, Trent or Little? Who gets more minutes of the four, Little or Ariza? And finally, what is more likely this year, Dame wins finals MVP trophy or an Olympic gold medal? Who boy, I think these are pretty easy. Rav usually give me harder ones than this. Trent is going to play way more minutes than Nazir Little at the three. Trevor Reza, way more minutes than Nazir Little at the four. I'm not projecting Nazir Little to play a ton of minutes in year two. Uh, the Blazers have a track record of letting guys spend two years in the incubator and in year three throwing them into a big minute role. I think Nazir Little is on that track. So Blazers go small more often. Like I said in that first segment, they don't really have a four on the roster right now. Maybe it's Carmelo Anthony or maybe it's Trevor Reza on day one. Maybe it's Trevor, right? He could play a little bit of small ball four against a bunch of teams. That's okay. It's maybe not ideal, but it'll work. Trent is just is, is in line for big minutes. He's going to play way more than Nas, and the Blazers didn't really play Nas at three last year until they absolutely had to. And the final one, Dame winning finals MVP or an Olympic gold medal. Well, if the Blazers win the NBA championship, Damian Lillard will win finals MVP. I don't think that's very likely, but I do think it's relatively likely that he's on the Olympic team this year. I know he wears the wrong shoe. I know he wears Adidas, and that's a Nike organization. I get it. But he's also the best point guard in the league, and if he's not the best point guard in the league, the best point guard in the league is a Under Armour-wearing Steph Curry who's two years older than Dame. So I think if Dame wants to be on the Olympic team, he will be. He's just too good at this stage in his career that... It would be just really bizarre if they passed him up. Like if he didn't make the team, it would be from from it would be from Dame's choice. It wouldn't be because uh, USA Basketball chose not to. It's it's it is no longer about the shoes. Damian Lillard is better than Nike athlete Kyrie Irving at this point. So uh, I don't think that one's going to come up. If Dame wants to be there, he will be. He's also at the age and his like stage in his career. He's thirty years old. By the time the next Olympics roll around, in uh, he'll be thirty four, and maybe he he won't actually be a lock to be sort of in that upper tier of point guards. Maybe he, maybe he will be, it'll be sort of in that Kyle Lowry range for him where it's like, well, he's obviously still really good, but there's better players who are younger. And like if the NBA stars go and Dame is among the stars that go, they're going to win the gold medal. So I'm going to say um, gold medal more likely, significantly more likely than finals MVP. This next question comes from Rudy Tyberski at Rudy Tyberski on Twitter who asks... What do you think are realistic expectations for the Blazers' offseason and upcoming season? And then he threw a little peace emoji at me. I appreciate that, Rudy. On that same on that same note, Hamilton from Gmail asks, actually, Hamilton says, give me all the players who leave this year and give me who comes in, your projections, including the draft. Hamilton, a little more aggressive than the typical question asker, but you know what? I'm still going to answer it. That's just the, That's just the kind of podcast this is. So realistic expectation for the Blazers offseason. Uh, I think that they don't make a big splash. This isn't the year that they go that they go all in. Their GM isn't the type of guy who does that. He usually s- sort of restructures with guys in the final years of their contract. We can trade away expiring contracts. I talked about this little in, a little bit in my uh, most recent segment or most recent podcast, excuse me. Uh, it's the, about the restart of the 2021 season. It's the episode right before this in your podcast feed, so I, I did about six minutes on it. You can hear more now. You're not going to get a full six minutes. Sorry, Rudy and Hamilton. But uh, I, I think the Blazers don't make a big splash. I think they will use their mid-level exception, which is a, you can it's $9.3 million starting contract up to four years. You can split it up to multiple players. 
uh, if you don't want to give the full nine million to someone. They also have the biannual con- the biannual exception, which is a three point six million dollar contract you can give out, and then they'll be able to sign some minimum guys to fill out the roster. Some version of that has to go to Carmelo Anthony if you want to bring him back. Um, but so I think they're going to look really similar, at least very similar uh, to what they did you know, full health-wise in the bubble, plus Trevor Ariza. Uh, My reasonable expectations, I think this team is like a middle-of-the-pack competing for uh, home court advantage in the West. I don't think this is a top-tier team in the Western Conference that's currently constructed unless someone takes a big jump that I'm not anticipating. But I do think this team could compete for, you know, fourth in the West. I think it's probably a realistic ceiling. Uh, if things break right, they can probably move all the way up to three if, if, you know, with some real luck and a great year from Damon CJ, maybe two. But I don't think this is a team that competes for one, two, three in the West. I think they're four, five, six. Uh, I think that's a realistic expectation, assuming pretty good health. You can never assume perfect, perfect health, but pretty good. Hamilton, you want specifics in Dame, in CJ, in Rodney Hood, in Trevor Ariza, in Yusuf Nurkic, in Mario Hazonia, in Gary Trent Jr., in Nazir Little, in Anthony Simons, out Hassan Whiteside, out Caleb Swanigan, out Jalen Adams, maybe in, but I don't feel confident about it. Carmelo Anthony, I think that's the big question mark. Do they re-sign Carmelo? Is he cool with a backup role or a potential backup role should Zach Collins come back and be promised that starting spot? The Blazers' future depends on whether Zach Collins can play next to Yusuf Nurkic. Like, if they're going to have a championship roster, they have to figure that out. So Carmelo just has, at some point, you just have to let your boy Carmelo take a back seat. Out, I think Wenyan Gabriel's gone. Out, Moses Brown, I don't think he's back, but maybe back on another two-way deal. And Jalen Horde, I think he'll be back on another two-way deal. I think the Blazers really like Jalen Horde, and to me, he looks like a dude who could be an NBA player. I don't think they give him a full NBA roster spot, but I wouldn't be surprised if they sign him to another two-way deal if he doesn't get interest somewhere else. So just based on my math right there, that's 11 guys back. We're going to say 12 is Josh Green from Arizona, who they take with the 16th pick in the draft. And 13th player is their second round pick this year, who's going to be Isaiah Joe, shooting guard from Arkansas. So that's that's 13 guys. I'm going to say the 14th guy is Nerland's Noel. That's <laughs> just a random guess. There you go. That's that's my prediction, including two total prediction uh, dart throws. That's 14 players in the roster. I'm going to assume the Blazers don't carry 15 this season because they're let's call it money conscious. That's about as specific as I'll ever get with predictions. So soak it in y'all. Next question comes from Tim from Gmail who asked kind of a long question that I edited down here to be the gist of the question is, do I think Damian Lillard should or will move into the front office with the Blazers and figure out how to win this team a title before all the Sheed, Brian Grant, Arvita Sabonis, Damian Stoudemire, 90s kids die. Wow. Dark, Tim. And and Tim also asks as a follow-up, have I ever talked to him about his future off the court um, after his career's done? Um, should Dame move into the front office? I don't know. Um, there's not a lot of NBA, like, true, true stars who have moved in the front office. Obviously, the big one's Jerry West, an incredible long-term uh, front office man for the Lakers, you know, built those Lakers dynasties of the late 90s, early 2000s, worked for the Grizzlies, now works for the Clippers, like, just an NBA lifer and a fantastic front office 
person in whatever role he's been for for a bunch of different franchises. The other one is Larry Bird, you know, final personnel decisions with the Pacers. Um, you know, these are Hall of Fame type, MVP type guys. These are top tier. These, you know, Bird and Jerry West are probably a tier above what Dame is right now, but there's then there's a big drop off in terms of like career accomplishments for dudes who have been successful NBA front office GM types. Joe Dumars is the next one. Um, he's been he's been you know he built a really good team in the Pistons. I think he was kind of maligned after that sort of era of the mid two thousands Pistons. Uh, that first decade of the two thousands kind of te- petered out. And he signed Charlie Villanueva and Ben Gordon. But Joe Dumars now works for the Kings. You know a long time respected front office guy. Then there's kind of a big drop off to sort of the next level of. NBA players who who've made like real starter star-ish types. Danny Ainge uh, with Celtics, who's been pretty good, um, but wasn't like a wasn't Dame's level. Like Dame is Dame is a step above Danny Ainge. Allen Houston, who's worked for the Knicks forever, he's Dame is again a, a full a well step above of Houston. Mitch Kupchak, who worked who worked for the Lakers and now works for the Hornets, um, he's you know Dame is Dame is well clear of him. He's you know well clear of. Dumars, quite frankly, but so, but that isn't a long list of guys who have been sort of effective NBA players who've made that transition. So I, well, I think it would be cool. I have never talked to Dame about whether he'd be interested in going into, um, going into the, you know, being working in a front office recently, Jameer Nelson, an all-star type who was like, you know, a really good player on that magic on those magic teams has just started working with the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, Elton Brand is, you know, he, he was an all-star and a very, very good player who works for the Sixers just was demoted from GM to whatever he is second in command behind Daryl Morey. So there's, there are more recent guys who've made the jump. Malik Rose, someone who I didn't write down on my list, but he worked for the Hawks and I believe he works for the Pistons front office in some some manner at this point Trajan Langdon uh a guy who's who's you know had an NBA career now works for the Pelicans Sean Marks an NBA guy who works for the for the Nets it's it's not uncommon for NBA guys um but my point is like it's pretty uncommon for Dame's level it's that's why I just you know wanted to highlight Jerry West and and uh Larry Bird I didn't highlight Elgin Baylor a a guy, you know, a Hall of Famer type who was a terrible front office guy. Like, he was just bad at it. Uh, it's it's pretty uncommon for, like, star, star, stars to move into GM roles. It's not that uncommon for sort of the Malik Rose, Sean Marks, pretty good long role player type career to move into the front office. Draw your own conclusions as to why that is, but uh, I just think the I think it's un- I think it's unlikely that Dame wants to stick around and do that just because stars haven't typically done it and he has a lot of interests outside of basketball. He likes music. He was in freaking Space Jam. Like the dude is going to have he'll be able to do what he wants to do. Um he's incredibly compelling could easily be a long-term TV guy. Um if he wants to move into the front office, I'm sure the Blazers would have him. He's going to be the best Blazer ever when he retires. So, um I just don't think it's super likely and I haven't, but I haven't talked to him about it. I'll ask him next time I get to, to chit chat with Damian Lillard, whenever that might be, I will certainly ask him about his aspirations post playing, but like, he's going to be the best point guard in the NBA for a couple more seasons. So, or, you know, at least the second best point guard in the NBA at worst for a couple more seasons. So let's, uh, let's wait on, on sort of getting ready for the twilight of old Dame's career. Okay. It's the twilight of this podcast though. We're going to move on to the third segment, close out the show, answering more of your questions. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked On Blazers. We're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Dr. Jeff, a.k.a. Dr. J, who asks, A trade idea for you. 
Zach Collins, Trevor Reza, and this year's first-round pick, and maybe one other piece for Aaron Gordon. I'm not sure Orlando goes for this. Maybe we throw in either Nazir Little or Anthony Simons as the hometown kids to make it work. So yeah, people have been trying to trade for Aaron Gordon forever. Blazer fans, that is. Um, I think this something like this trade would work. Just like judging on what the Magic like, I think Nazir Little fits more of their... Um, they like long-arm dudes. They like Alfaruq Aminus. You know, they got a lot of dudes who are... Um, who are long rangy and can't shoot. That's that's that is their sort of player type. They love they love long arms in Orlando. So maybe Nazir Little fits that more than Ant, but maybe they want to go another direction and get a guy who has offensive potential so they want Ant. But either one, I would probably go for it. Um I'm not a big Aaron Gordon guy. Like I don't think he's super good. Um but he does a lot of things well. I kind of think his problem is that he's too good at too many things. He doesn't have a, like a, an elite skill other than athleticism, but he can kind of dribble, he can kind of shoot, he can kind of run pick and rolls. He can he's an okay defender and he hasn't sort of n- zeroed in on what he does and a lot of times on offense because he has this disparate skill set he seems to be trying to do everything all at once and just like taking a really bad 18 foot pull up um i'm not a huge fan of this but i think gordon is 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 already a better player than zach so it's really like what do you think of sort of the hope for zach and Nas? uh gordon gordon would be an upgrade um i would I would pull the trigger on this. I'm not sure Lando would. I'm, and I don't think Neil would. But um, yeah, I, this is Zach Ariza, number sixteen, and Ant for Aaron Gordon. I'm gonna say yes. You might hate it, but yeah, I'm okay with it. This next question comes from Taylor from Gmail, who says, "What about Ken Freed for a low price?" Listen, this isn't a hell nah. Like I'm not gonna hit you with the full Bishop Bullwinkle drop, but. Here are just some random, let me just give you a random NBA types I like better. A name I always have mentioned in this space, and I'm going to keep mentioning, not only because he went to the University of North Carolina, but because he's good, and he always seems to sign minimum contracts places. John Henson, he's going to be a free agent. I think you can get him for the vet minimum, and he's he's better than Kenneth Fareed. Robin Lopez, uh, maybe he doesn't go all the way down for the minimum, but He's going to be darn close to it, better than Kenneth Freed. Willie Cauley-Stein, same deal as Rolo, probably not the minimum, but close to it, better than Kenneth Freed. Damian Jones, I'm going to say he's better than Kenneth Freed. Kyle O'Quinn, better than Kenneth Freed and will work your bar mitzvah. Billy Hernan Gomez, another name I've thrown out there a bunch of times, better than Kenneth Freed. Noah Vonley, bringing that full back. What about Drew Eubanks from San Antonio? Uh, a two-way guy who kind of looked like an NBA player in the bubble. All of these dudes are better than Kenneth Freed. He's been out of the league for a reason. Uh, he's an overrated rebounder. He's never been a good defensive player. He fools you by playing hard. He's too short to play center, even though he's definitely a five in the league. Uh, I'm just not a Kenneth Freed believer. I know that um, I know that he's not Nolan Smith or whatever, and they should, they should have made that pick back in 2011. But listen, because they screwed that pick up, they got Damian Lillard. Nolan Smith was a gift. Kenneth Freed would have been a curse. Okay, curse, too strong of a word, but Kenneth Freed maybe have been too competent as a rookie, and then the Blazers wouldn't have ended up where they were and had to blow the team up, yada, 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 and uh, ended up trading away Jared Walls to get that pick that became Damian Lillard. That's right. Drafting a bad Duke player saved the Blazers franchise. Go Tar Heels. Next question comes from Jesse from Gmail who asks, Checked ESPN today and saw UNC's Cole Anthony at number 16. How cool would that be for you? 
Could it work fit-wise and that he could run the backup point guard? Would he need more minutes than they would be willing to play him? Also, hypothetically, if they did pick him, what would Ant's future be if they traded him? Who would be interested in who could get back? I'm going to ignore the Anthony Simons stuff for now. Um, if the Blazers draft a point guard, they're not going to give up on Ant. Um, and I think his value is super, super low outside of Portland. So there's not like you trade him for you know a, a late first-round pick probably. Um, but Cole, listen, watched every game, every minute of his college career. Um, I'm not, I'm just not super sold on him being a good NBA player. Here's my thing about him. The Carolina team around him was super bad. Uh, he didn't have anyone around him who could shoot. So it was hard for him to get space, but he, he was not good at getting to the rim and he was not good at finishing when he got to the rim. So he's the score first point guard who can't make layups and can't finish and can't dunk. Uh, he was a st- really streaky shooter, not like a good shooter. Um, the, Bla- the Blazers, the Tar Heels have had point guards who can shoot. I'm familiar with that concept. Cole Anthony was a point guard who could, who was, he was a maker. He could make shots and when he would get hot, he would, boy, could he make a lot in a row, but he wasn't a consistent high level finisher. Some of that was his teammates and the way defenses could pay attention to him. Some of that is because I don't think he was just an elite shooter at that stage in his career. And he's just not a passer. He's not someone who passes naturally. He's a scoring guard. Um, um, the Blazers have that in Anthony Simons. They have that in, in CJ McCollum, like a really good version in CJ McCollum and a developmental version in Anthony Simons. I don't think you want to add another one to the mix. So the Blazers get another point guard. Um, you want it to be a vet, someone who can play, not someone who's a project. I would, for me, I'd rather see the Blazers draft a wing or a big at that spot. I know that they're going to take the best player available. And if they think it's Cole, I will Talk to him about Carolina basketball every chance I get. Don't you worry. Uh, Jesse asks a follow-up who sa- and says, Elijah Hughes, according to ESPN, is projected at 44th. He's a good shooter who can defend the two and the three pretty well. His shooting percentage went down because Syracuse had a bad team and he was often getting double team, but he still averaged 19 points per game. And then Jesse goes on to make fun of my beloved Tar Heels here, so I'm not going to read that part. Listen, um, Elijah Hughes had 19 in a game against Carolina when when they beat Syracuse, and then he had 27 to end UNC's season in the ACC tournament. Uh, and I, I've, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, welcome. If you have, you know I don't watch college basketball. I watch Carolina basketball. I've seen Elijah Hughes twice. He torched Carolina. So yeah, I think he's an NBA player. Sign that fool up. I think he'd be a great pick at 46 for the Blazers. Also, UNC prejudice aside, he does kind of fit uh, the second round profile for players that Neil Olshay has targeted. Big school, big conference, pretty high production. Think Alan Crabb from Cal in the Pac-12, Pat Connaughton from Notre Dame in the ACC, Jake Lehman from Maryland and the and the Big Ten. Is that what Maryland's in now? Uh, Will Barton from Memphis, a, a high level program. And most recently, Gary Trent Jr., a, you know, a productive single season at Duke. Um, this is kind of, Elijah Hughes kind of fits the the uh, the Neil Olshay second round target. So I think that's, that's realistic. Next question comes from Eric from Gmail, who asks, I was a big advocate of Portland acquiring some help at center. And I know that was a hot topic for the Blazers. I'm very high on Nerlens Noel and Aaron Baines. How realistic is it going in the offseason that Portland goes for either of those guys to help bring some stability and a little more talent to the second unit? Yeah, I I like both of those guys. I think they're both kind of, I don't know if they're both better, like in a, to use a Neil Olshay word, in a vacuum than Hassan Whiteside. I think Aaron Baines is for sure. Uh, but 
Nerlens Noel was really productive for uh, OKC. He was also playing on kind of a, a whack contract. He's one of those clutch guys who like did not get money and probably could have gotten more money had he uh, really been been about it. Uh, so he's playing on a pretty cheap deal. The it's a bad time to be a free agent, so we'll probably have to take a cheap deal again. Uh, it kind of depends on what the Blazers want to do with their money, but I, I think both of those are realistic considering their options. I think in that sort of um, part of the mid-level, four to six million dollars, or maybe even the biannual at three point six million dollars could could net you one of those guys. Uh, I don't think you'll have to give the full mid-level. No, neither of those dudes make nine million bucks in the open market. They're both good though. Like other teams know that they're good. Uh, if I had to choose, I'd probably go Baines, but I. Because I think Noel is he's less he just he's just a defensive five. Um, he doesn't have a bunch of other skills. Baines does stuff. He can shoot a little bit on set shots. Um, he's kind of an okay passer, playmaker type out of the high post. Like he gives you a little bit more. Um, he's also just thicker and sets giant screens. And I love dudes who set giant screens. So yeah, I'm I'm more I'm more into Baines over Noel. But I think they're both realistic options. Second part from Eric's question is. Portland wasn't crazy active at the trade deadline this past season outside of making a trade, but go on. Uh, we never really heard them throw their hat in any potential trades. One trade I'm eye on and wish they could have made would have been Memphis. And one the Memphis Miami made that sent Iguodala and Crowder to the Heat. Realistically, Eric asks more. He Eric goes into great detail here, but uh, realistically, could that trade have happened? No, I don't think it could have. Uh, the, the Miami Heat gave up a really good young player in Justice Winslow on a contract that uh, allows him to be a Memphis Grizzly for more than one season. The Blazers just don't didn't have that. They didn't have that to dangle. Uh, they they didn't have sort of like, unless they're willing to trade Gary Trent Jr., which I don't think they were, and by at the trade deadline, it wasn't clear that Gary Trent Jr. was really good. Like, he was, it he had been really good for eight days by then, and he really took off after that. He kind of got into consistently playing and consistently playing well post-trade deadline. So at the time, you know, it's like Simons was having a really bad year. Zach Collins was injured, so he didn't sort of fit what Memphis wanted. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. was an unknown, and the Blazers didn't really have any other sexy trade parts that would have, that could have, that would have worked, plus the money that they needed to make it work. And they didn't have any sexy tr uh, draft picks coming. Uh, they also are probably not really in the market to trade away draft picks for a season rental of Andre Iguodala. And also to to just go on top of that, Andre Iguodala had just sat out a full season in Memphis refusing to play for a team who he didn't think was a playoff contender. At the time of the trade deadline, the Blazers were behind Memphis in the standings. How the hell are they going to trade for a guy who almost certainly would say, nah, nah. Like, obviously, maybe like talent-wise, you and I might think that the Blazers are a step ahead of Memphis, but... I, the record didn't suggest that, and I don't know if Andre Iguodala shares that belief. Uh, it's also not Miami. There's a lot of factors there. Plus, are is Memphis willing to trade away Jay Crowder and uh, Andre Iguodala for a you know developmental part to the team chasing them in the standings? There's just so many things that were preventing the Blazers from being involved in that deal. Um, but yeah, Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala would be an incredible upgrade. They should have done it. Like, that's what they should do. They should trade for really good wings, right? They should just have, they should either have them or go get them. That's the trick. Just, duh, duh, Blazers, just go get really good wings. Go do it. Find some dudes who are like 6'8", play really good defense and can shoot, win championships. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? All right, last week, I promised you more draft profiles and I didn't, I didn't return on them because the state of the world had me put, 
the podcast on hold. But the world has slightly more clarity now about the future of our country. So I, I'm going to tell you now, we've done six draft profiles. Those are waiting in your feed. And I got more this week. For real, this time, uh, there isn't going to be a contentious national election that kind of steals my energy. So look for those in your feed later this week. A couple more draft profiles of guys the Blazers can take at number 16. Appreciate everyone who's involved with Mailbag Monday. That's those who listen and those submit quest- who submit questions. If you want to get involved, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email the show, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.